Lord. I think we need to give Jesus a big hand today. Come on, wherever you are. Come on now, a big hand today for the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is worthy of all of our praises. Let me just say, I am thrilled to see you. I'm not only thrilled to see you being here, but I'm thrilled to be standing in front of our new building that is going gangbusters. I can't wait for you to see it. I mean, the walls are up. You can see the sanctuary. You can see where everything's going to be. And we are excited about what God is doing in our lives. Listen, we are here today. Our world has been turned upside down for two months. How many can say amen in so many different ways? But you know, it's time to start gathering back at our church. And uh, this is going to be the first. It's a little complicated to just say, well, we'll start next Sunday at the church building just like we were. Because here's what's complicated. We're going to do our best to practice social distancing, to be able to keep people safe. I think that's an appropriate thing to do. Not because the state demands it, but because I want to make sure that you are safe and your children are safe. Well, to be able to do that, we're going to have to not, not use every other row in the sanctuary and keep a couple seats between people that didn't ride together. Well, what that means is we can only have about 200 and maybe 25 in the sanctuary. Initially, we won't have children's ministry, so we'll use the main sanctuary. We'll use powerhouse as an overflow. And if that's not enough, if more people showed up for that service, we do, you know, they would just have to watch the live stream in their car. It's a little complicated making that work. We gotta, we've got to clean the building between the two services and disinfect it. We've got to get the team together, the equipment. So that's what we're dragging our feet about. I've been on a Zoom call the last week with the governor of Texas, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general. And verbatim, they're all 100% pro and in favor of the ministry of the church is essential now and this time more than any other. And I'm glad I live in this part of the country. So we will let you know. We'll make a decision after tonight. Tonight seems like a great success. We'll make a decision. We'll let you know early next week. But we will be seeing you, Lord willing, eyeball to eyeball next week as we, uh, as we look forward to that. Listen, this is Mother's Day. And in celebration of Mother's Day, I'm going to share the pulpit with my wife, Linnell. And I don't know a better mom than Linnell. And uh, we have done our best as a church throughout the years to practice all aspects of the Bible. And since the Bible says greet one another with a holy kiss, are you scared of me? Yeah. <laughs> I will wipe off the microphone though with my bleach wipe. It is so good to be here. And I want to say to all of the moms, happy Mother's Day. This is a different Mother's Day than we've ever experienced in our lifetime or in the world, but it is exciting to be with my church family. I've missed you. I love you all so much, but my husband's given me only 10 minutes, and so I am going to jump into my message that I feel like is to the moms here today, but let me, don't fool yourself. This is for every single one of us adults. We all need to take this to heart. Um, we just read through First and Second Timothy and there's a wonderful example of the generational blessing of a godly mother and a godly grandmother. And when you read this story, you learn that Timothy was who he was because he had a godly mom and a godly grandmother. Let me first tell you about my story. My mom was a mighty, mighty woman of God. Pastor's wife from the age of 18 on. My grandmother, prayer 
intercessor. She was one that you'd just be driving in the car, and she'd have what I would call a little Holy Ghost fit where she would just start shaking and praying out loud, and then she'd prophesy, I have a heritage, and I am who I am today because of my mom and because of my grandmother and because they imparted God's word got imparted how to pray to me and how to live a godly life. So let's j- jump into 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. Paul is telling Timothy, since you were a child, you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise. And that wisdom leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So who taught Timothy the scriptures? His mom. His grandmother. You read on in, in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5. It says, I remember your genuine faith. For you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. Women, we have the ability to influence the next generation. Whether you are a biological mom or you're not. Whether you have children in your home or they've moved away or they've grown up. You have the, the ability to influence them for the kingdom of God. You have the ability to influence the kids in your neighborhood, kids that you teach in the schools, kids that are your nieces or your nephews. We have a responsibility to change our generation. We have a responsibility to impart this to our kids. Paul told Timothy that he was to be an example in five ways. You know... Timothy was a shepherd, and you know, moms, we're shepherding our flock, and there are kids in our home. We are shepherding them by the example that we live, and this is what Paul told Timothy to do. He said to be an example, this is 1 Timothy 4.12, in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. Moms, you have to live your faith out loud. You have to be an example to your kids because the greatest sermon they'll ever see, Pastor John says this all the time, is the life that we live. Dads, you too. Each and every one of us are an example, either for good or for bad. So how do we choose our words and what we say? I know for me, I mark my Bible in red, every scripture about the tongue about how my tongue is to bring health and to bring life and not to bring death, that the law of kindness would be on my lips, that I would build others up and encourage them, empower them, that I would paint faith pictures in their life about how God sees them. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Do you know that psychologists estimate that it takes nine positive words to erase one negative word? So you may have just blown up at your family or blown up at someone, and then you take it back really quick and say, I'm sorry, and then you try to say something nice. But you know what they're going to remember? They're going to remember the negative. Nine words that are positive to erase one negative word. So Paul told Timothy, be an example In what you say. The second thing he said is to be an example in the way you live. My mom always told me, actions speak louder than words. You can say you love someone, but until you put action to it, it doesn't mean anything. We need both actions and words. It's a gentle touch. 
It's a kind gesture. It's a cup of cold water to someone that is thirsty. It's acts of generosity. They're watching how you treat the neighbors. They're watching how you treat the person in the grocery market. They are watching how you treat the person that just cut you off and what comes out of your mouth and what gesture you may use to express your anger. Parents, moms, we have to live a life that our kids can follow. James says in 122, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. In verse 217, it says, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Faith without actions is nothing. And love without action means nothing. The third thing that Paul told Timothy to be an example in is love. 1 Corinthians describes the kind of love that God wants each and every one of us to have. It's patient. It's kind. It's not jealous. It's not boastful. It's not proud. It's not rude. It doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It rejoices when the truth wins out. It never gives up. It never loses faith. It's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Love never fails. That's the kind of love we need to be an example to our children. We need to express that love out loud. The third thing, or the fourth thing I wanted to tell you about is faith. Deuteronomy 11, 18, 21 says, Place these words on your hearts. Get them deep inside of you. Teach them to your children. Talk about them wherever you are, sitting at home, walking in the street. Talk about them from the time you get up in the morning until you fall to bed at night so that you'll live a long time and your children with you. You know, my husband is great at this. He's a preacher. And so everything turned into a sermon when my kids were growing up. Everything, whether it's something in nature or something that we saw or something that happened, he would turn it into a learning tool to teach my children what God says about that and what, how God created that. And our lives need to be where our faith is lived out loud. It's not something we just do in our homes. Here the scripture says you do when you're walking down the road or when you're driving in your car. You let your, your kids see you pray. You let them see you read your Bible. You let them see you repent when you blow it and mess up because we all do. You let them see you ask God for wisdom when you don't know what to do. When you're afraid, you let your kids see you pray and ask God for protection and for, for his hand to be upon your life. We need to live our faith out loud because then our children will follow our example. When they don't know what to do, they'll pray. When they're afraid, they'll pray. We taught our kids, you know, some of my daughters had, or both of them, fear at night when they went to bed. And especially my daughter Bethany, who's out there, and it's so good to have her back from Africa. We learned a scripture. When I lie down, I will not be afraid. When I lie down, I will have sweet sleep. And every night we repeat it. And then she'd wake up in the middle of the night. She'd go, when I lie down, I will not be afraid. When I lie down, I will have sweet sleep. We taught her her faith. We lived it out loud. And the last thing I wanted to say is through your purity. You have to live a life that's untainted by the world. 
We can't compromise with the world. We can't live a double standard. We have to be quick to repent when we fail. We need to fear God and hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride, arrogance, corruption, and perverse speech. We've got to be an example because we're shepherds of the flock that's in our household. We're shepherds of the, our grandchildren. We're shepherds of our nieces and nephews. We're shepherds of those that are in our neighborhood. And our life will either point them to God so that they will be wise to salvation or will point them away from God because we lived a double standard. The last thing I wanted to say was Exodus 20 verse 6. It says, I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and on those who obey my commandments. Moms, it'll be worth it. If you choose to live a godly life, if you choose to put away your selfish desires, your own wanting to go your own direction, if you will choose to live a life, if not for yourself that's blessed, but because you want your children blessed, it will be worth it. Psalms 112 says, How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying His commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. A powerful force upon the earth and entire... In an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. And the last thing I want to say is may his favor be upon you to a thousand generations and your family and your children and your children and their children. And may his presence go before you and behind you and beside you and all around you and within you. He is with you. He is with you. God bless you all. I love you. And it's so good to be back in church together again. Amen. Give the Lord a good hand. Honey, you did a good job. This will be a Mother's Day we'll never forget. There are landmark days in our life. I remember where I was when John F. Kennedy was killed. I was in the first grade. I remember when our teacher, our principal, came on the microphone and told us. I remember when 9-11 happened. I was in the church office and uh, Pat's son called and we found the television. We found a way to watch and see what was going on. This is a landmark day uh, as a church as we begin to gather again after having been isolated from one another for a period of time. I want to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, if you'll go with me to the book of Timothy. Uh, if it's on your phone, look on your phone. I'm going to look at eight verses. We'll not go throughout the whole Bible today, but I want to look at eight simple verses that together, collectively, I call it life's greatest lesson. The books of Timothy, First and Second Timothy, Paul wrote these words in First Timothy 1.18. He said, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Now think with me just a moment. He said, Timothy, my son. Now Paul was not Timothy's biological father. Paul was his spiritual father. Paul was his mentor. Uh, his mom raised him to follow Jesus, and Paul took this young man on and developed a father-son relationship with you. And what the books of First and Second Timothy are, are they are the words of a father to a son about how to live your life, about how to lead the church, and the concluding verses that I'll go over today are the last things that a father would say to a son. And I want to encourage you today because this will apply to a mother. This will apply to a father. It will apply to all of us. Because all of us have people that we love. All of us have people that we're responsible to. All of us have people that we care about. 
And all of us need to communicate to these people life's greatest lesson. And here's what I'm calling life's greatest lesson. It is to live each day with eternity in mind. Kids, I want you to look up from your coloring book just a second or your phone. I want all the kids to say this out loud with me. Kids, and go ahead, mom and dad, say it too. Say it with me. Say, life's greatest lesson is living each day with eternity in mind. Let's talk about it today. Second Timothy chapter 4, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. And as I talk about life's greatest lesson, my question is this. What would you tell someone if you were about to die? None of us wants to die. All of us are going to die. We got some news yesterday that increased our prayer lives. My daughter-in-law, I've had such a wonderful time. She and our grandkids and my, my son have been staying with us now about six weeks. And it's been a wonderful experience. We're all still alive. Nobody has bruises. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. We've had a, a wonderful time together. But she got news yesterday. Her 85-year-old grandmother has the COVID-19 virus. Well, listen, when you're 85, you know that one day you're going to go to heaven anyway. It makes you think a little more pointedly when death stares you in the face. And that's the way it was with Paul. And I ask you this question. What would you tell the people you love if you got a diagnosis that my life is on this earth is going to be over? I'm going to be with Jesus. But what would you tell the people that you care about? And this is what I want to share with you. What Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy, in the last few verses of this last letter he would write. Mind you, Paul wrote these words from a jail cell in Rome. And Paul had been miraculously delivered before, but he knew that this would be the time of his death. Here's what he said in verse 1. I solemnly urge you. He's underscoring these words. He said, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. There's no stronger words that he could say. There was a time when, when you gave your vow in the court of law, you would raise your hand or you would put your hand on the Bible. As the president, when he or she takes oath of office, they put their hand on the Bible. It is a solemn oath. It is a solemn pledge. It is a way to say this is more important than anything else. And then he said, I urge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ. Now listen, who will someday judge the living and the dead when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. So he started it out with the thought about eternity. And I want to tell you this, my friends. This is something that you will not hear on CNN or nor Fox. You will not hear it in your classrooms at school. But it is that one day there is coming a day of judgment in which we will all be held accountable for our actions. For the believer, it can be a glorious day. For the one that has rejected Christ, a tragic day. But Paul sets the tone of his words with eternity and a coming day of judgment. But the great news, friends, is there is reward for the Christian that lives each day serving the Lord. And with that undergirding, here's what he said in verse 2. Now he tells him, this is how you should live. He said, preach the word of God. Can you say that with me? Come on a little bit louder. Preach the word of God. Will you say, well, that's what you're doing, pastor. Yes, I am. But this word preach does not just mean stand behind a pulpit and talk on a microphone. The word preach means to communicate the gospel. And it is not just Timothy who happened to be a minister, but it is the responsibility of every person that's listening today that Paul would tell us today. 
Because the Bible is not just an old ancient book. The Bible was written to all of us today in application. And he's saying to all of us, communicate the word of God to people. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. In other words, whether it's fun, whether it's hot outside, whether you've got to go to the bathroom and this will be short tonight or whatever the case is, but you preach the word of God. Notice what he said. What he said to do was patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage the people with good teaching. In other words, if there was error in a person's life, he was supposed to correct them with the word of God. If they were sinning, he was supposed to rebuke them. And if they were doing well, he was to encourage them. And I tell you this, friends, Timothy was a vocational minister, but every one of us has a ministry from God to fulfill in our life. All of us are to tell people about God's Word. All of us are to be a living example, and all of us are to speak up for God. All of us are to talk for the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is the standard to guide us in all that we do. And listen, children. The Bible teaches us right and wrong. I want all the kids to say that. Say right and wrong. You won't learn right and wrong from the Disney Channel. You may not learn it from your, your classroom at school. But you learn right and wrong from the Bible. It is God's absolute truth and it shows us the way to a happy life. It's the first thing Paul said to his son in the faith is that you are to preach the word of God. Notice what he said, verse 3. This describes America as well as anything I've heard. He said, a time is coming when people no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. When you try to tell someone God created the word, world, God created the universe out of nothing, they'll say, no, he didn't. They'll say, at best, a big bang did it. Or they'll say, the universe was pre-existing. They'll fight against God. They'll fight against His Word. People don't want to hear the Word of God. Now listen, it says they'll follow their own desires. And this is the problem. People have turned their back on God. They'll look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They'll reject the truth. Now listen, they'll chase after myths. Myths are fairy tales that help us in modern society justify our actions. To go against a holy God. To ignore the truth of His Word. This characterizes the world that we live today. The spiritual vacuum is in need of the Word of God. And I want you to punch somebody close to you and tell them it is our job to tell people the living Word of God. Come on somebody say praise the Lord. Listen, the Bible, there is a new dividing line in Christianity. When I was a young minister, the dividing line was denominations. Am I a Methodist? Am I a, a, a Pentecostal? Am I a Baptist? Am I a Presbyterian? That's no longer the case today. The dividing line in modern Christianity is do I literally believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God or do I not? Do I believe the Bible is the source of absolute truth or do I not? It determines what I believe about marriage. It determines what I believe about gender. We live in a world today that is absolutely confused and turned upside down. But I want to tell you, friend, the starting place for all of us today is a belief that God's Word, the Bible, is the literal Word of God, and it's applicable to us today. Come on, lift your hands with me today and say, I believe as you do in that. Let's look at verse 5. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. How do you keep a clear mind in every situation? I'll tell you this, friend. Once again, it is to let the Bible discern our thoughts and our beliefs. If someone talks about capital punishment, if someone talks about the consequences for a crime, 
Our first response shouldn't be to just go to a psychologist or take a poll of the people or listen to the news. Our first response is, should be to go to the Bible. If someone talks to us about marriage, if someone talks to us about how we treat our parents as they get older in life, I'll tell you, friends, the first thing we want to talk to is not the person who has the retirement annuity, but it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it is to look to the Bible to see what God's Word says. Keep a clear mind in every situation. Then he says this, don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. I want to tell you, friends, there are Christians across this world that are suffering for Jesus. There are Christians today, the most persecuted group of people in the world today. The religious group are the Christians. It is around the world today. It is happening. Uh, uh, Missiologists believe there are some 260 million Christians That's almost the population of the United States around the world that are severely persecuted for their faith. It's happening everywhere. I'm grateful that I live in the state of Texas where our governor is is not only allowing, but he is encouraging the churches to take their rightful stand in culture and society and be a voice and be a witness and to help the people that are in need in the world. But it's not like that in places like California where I rescued my my wife many years ago. In California, churches are forbidden to meet. In California, they are, who knows when it might be. And pastors are having to stand up against the government and say on the day of Pentecost, 500 pastors are going to gather and say, listen, on Pentecost Sunday, which is the end of May, we're going to stand and we're going to believe. There are people that are being persecuted in our land and it could happen to us. Being a Christian is not always easy or fun. Now, I want you to listen to what I'm going to say next. In my opinion, this is the most important verse of the day. It says this, work at telling others the good news. Work at it. Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy, work at telling other people the good news and fully carry out the ministry that God has given you. Now, I want to tell you, friends, you and I have one great job as we live on this earth. It is to populate heaven. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. It is to see and influence as many people as we can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It is what we do with our time, and it is what we do with our money. I rejoiced just this last week. I heard a, I was talking to our, our, our mission that we support there in India, one of the largest evangelical missions in India. It's called, uh, it's called Church on the Rock, actually seminary. The first mission in, missions group sent out from the Church on the Rock groups of churches Uh, And right now, as I talk to the pastor, of course, they're being affected there tremendously. He said they've got, I think I'm correct in this, 292 pastors in 11 different states. And they were sending them money every month to help some of them. Some of them as little as $25. Some of them as high as $350. But to help these church planters in a Hindu nation where the population of Christians is about 2 or 3%. It's not very big. And I said, how much is that? He said, $6,600. And we're a little down this month. I don't know if we can do it. I instantly talked to our leadership team. And I said, I think we need to help our brothers over in India. Are you with me today? This is what we do. We bring the good news. We work at it. But it's not just people in India. It's people here in Texarkana. It's people that are around us. It's people that are strangers and it's people that we love. It is the great The good news is this. It is that God loves us. That he sent his son Jesus Christ to be our savior for dying for our sins. And those that believe and follow him will have eternal life. Come on somebody say praise the Lord. And it is our responsibility 
to fully carry out the ministry that God has given us. Now look at verse 6. This is the context for what Paul said. He said, he said as for me, my life has already been poured out, poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have been around people that were facing the end of their life. Most which were sick, most of which were old. Others had other circumstances in life. But they had an awareness that they were reaching the end of their life. And when they wanted to talk to their children, they would not tell their children, you know, don't forget to cut the grass. Don't forget to feed the pets, you know, Perina Dog Chow, not that other brand that you get from wherever. Are you with me today? They tell them important things. They hold their hand and they tell them that they love you, love them. They, they share memories that they've had in their life. And then they take their hand and they talk to them about spiritual things. People that genuinely know the Lord, know the confidence and the hope that when I die, my life is not over, but I'm going to go live to forever with the Lord. And I want you to go with me. I want you to be there. They talk to them about spiritual things. And this is what Paul the father told Timothy the son. Now listen to what he said. He said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I've remained faithful. faithful. Now I want you to think about that. It is life's greatest lesson, living each day with eternity in mind. And that's what he's telling his son in the faith, Timothy, right now. He's saying, Timothy, I want you to look at my life. Ever since you knew me, have known me, you've known that I fought the good fight. And he's not talking about fighting people. He's talking about fighting spiritual darkness. He's talking about fighting in the place of prayer. He's talking about enduring suffering. He's talking about enduring hardship. And what he is literally saying is, no matter what came to me when I was a Christian, I would stand against it. I would fight it. I would realize that I'm fighting not people, but I'm fighting powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness and high places. And what Paul was saying is, I did not quit. And what I want to tell you to do today, my friends, do not quit. Do not give up. Do not back down. Do not lose courage. Do not fail to stand up for that which is right in our lives as believers. Fight the good fight. And then the next thing he said in his closing words, he said to Timothy, I have fought, he said, I've fought the good fight. But he also said this. He said, I have finished the race. Now, kids, I want you to think just a second. How many kids like to run and like to run fast? And how many kids can beat dad when you're running in a race with dad or can beat mom? That's what kids want to do. This race is your individual race. You're not competing against me. You're not competing against Linnell. You're not competing against Pastor Travis or Pastor Cole or Billy Graham. We're not competing against Oral Roberts. We're not competing with the church across town. We are simply competing with ourselves and trying to be the best us that we can be so that we can literally live our lives serving the Lord. So that we can be more than just living in the pursuit of pleasure and fun and good things in life. They are all important, but they're all secondary. The most important thing, life's greatest lesson, is doing everything in our power to serve the Lord. To live with eternity in mind, knowing that one day we'll stand before God. And this last phrase, it is so crucial. He said, I have remained faithful. He remained faithful to God and he remained faithful to God's word. He remained faithful to God's will and he remained faithful to the calling of God in his life. 
I see my dear brothers and sisters on the motorcycles. They have an affinity to ride a bike. They love to ride a bike, but the bike for them is the way that they reach people. They go to motorcycle rallies. They go to places. They'll, they'll, they'll go to places that are not filled with Christian people in cars. They'll go to places that are filled with needy people, hurting people, people in need of a Savior, people so in bondage to the world, addicted to things of the world, and they'll go right in amidst them and try to bring them out of darkness and bring them into the light. Listen, friends, God has given us all calling and ability. Paul said, I did it to the end of my days. And I don't know about you, but when I reach the end of my days and take my last breath on this earth, if it is a conscious moment, I want to take that breath and I want to be able to say, Lord Jesus, I have served you ever since August 15, 1976, when I gave my life to you in a Navy barracks in, 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 in Florida. And I have lived for you and I served you faithfully in the military. I served you faithfully at Church on the Rock. And now, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to go meet you face to face. Come on, somebody give Give the Lord a good hand today. Let that be our desire. And here's the motivation and here's the conclusion. Verse 8. He says, now the prize awaits me. In other words, what Paul is saying this is the, to Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, God's going to reward you for what you did. God's going to reward you for every sacrifice you made, every hardship you endured, every bit of difficulty in your life. Any time that you stood for what was right and what was wrong, there's a reward coming for you, Timothy. And I want to tell you, friends that are listening today, there's a reward coming. You that have faithfully served the Lord, there's a reward coming. You that have been faithful to care for the poor. I'm so proud. We have teams of people that go and support Flower Acres Baptist Church. It's not our food ministry. It's theirs. We just go to hold up their hands. And we have volunteers that go. People send money. We brought food there last week to feed the workers that are there as they feed the poor. I want to tell you, these are things that matter to the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are things that will be rewarded one day. I want to tell you, friends, every prayer you've prayed, every good thing you've done, every dollar you've given to the kingdom will be rewarded by God one day. Notice what he says, this prize awaits me. It is the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge. Now listen, you remember when he started this? When he said, one day we're going to stand before God, there's going to be a judgment. Now Jesus himself is the judge that he's going to give me this crown on his, the day of his return. I want to tell you, friends, the return of Jesus Christ may be sooner than we believe. It may be sooner than we know. And Jesus is coming back this time not as a baby in a manger, but He's coming back as King of kings and He's coming back as Lord of lords. It may well be that the world shut down over this virus was simply a strategic move by Satan himself to be able to show the Antichrist how to stop the whole world and cause it to follow him. It may well be that we're living in the precursor and to the birth pangs of the second coming of Jesus Christ. The world has stopped on a dime. And the world has shut down. One day, friends, there'll be a ruler. His name is the Antichrist. He will stand against anything that's of God. But I want to tell you, one day Jesus Christ is coming. And when Jesus Christ comes to this earth, he's just going to stomp him under his foot. Are you with me today? Jesus, listen, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I conclude today by saying this to you. Paul taught Timothy life's greatest lesson. Kids, I want you to say it with me. Adults, I want you to say it with me. 
Life's greatest lesson is to live each day with eternity in mind. In these short words, Paul said, Heaven and hell are real. A day of judgment is coming. Jesus Christ is coming again. Followers of Christ should tell each other the good news, should tell people the good news. And every one of us should fulfill the ministry that God has given us. This is how we live each day with eternity in mind. This is what Paul told Timothy was life's greatest lesson. And as we gather on this parking lot in this historic day, my prayer for you and my prayer for me is for every mother and every father that's listening today would teach your children to live with eternity in mind. In the Old Testament, the wisest man that ever lived, his name was Solomon. Solomon tried to find happiness in every venue possible. He tried to find happiness in the accumulation of money and the building of homes, and it ultimately wasn't there. He accumulated knowledge. He did everything under the sun. He sought pleasure. But when he finished his whole book called Ecclesiastes, he said, let's hear the end of the whole matter. He said, the whole duty of man is to fear God and obey His commandments because one day we'll give an account to God. My friend, tell your children. Tell the people you work with. Tell the people on social media that they should live with eternity in mind. My friend, let's do everything in our power to populate heaven because one day Jesus is coming back to this earth as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Come on, give Him a big hand today. He is worthy of our praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Listen, why don't we just all stand to our feet right now if you're seated. I want you to just stand to your feet right now and we're just going to just worship the Lord just a moment. Just give us some little song behind us and I want you to just let your praise go to heaven right now. Just close your eyes and just begin to declare Him as your King and worship Him. And feel the atmosphere. Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for. To be overcome by your presence, Lord. Holy Spirit, you are welcome Today, we pray that your glory would fill this parking lot. I pray that your presence would fill every car, every vehicle that's here. Every person that's hungry right now. Every person that's spiritually hungry. Every person that's spiritually thirsty. I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. 
pray, God, that there would be a river that would begin to flow in all of us. Let it flow into this very building, Lord, as we're here on the parking lot today. But let it flow in our city. Let your presence flow, Lord, in these two restaurants to our right. Let your presence flow across the shopping centers and the malls, the car dealerships. Let your presence flow, Lord, into the Pleasant Grove area. Let it flow, Lord, into this, the city in the, of Arkansas, into Miller County. Let it flow across to the Walmart and the Lowe's. Let your Holy Spirit just go, Lord, into downtown Texarkana and let it go into the colleges. Let there be a sweeping revival here in Texarkana. Would you pour out your spirit here and would it sweep across the nation and the nations of the earth? What the world needs is not just deliverance from the coronavirus. What the world needs is Jesus. And I pray for each one of us today that in a more deliberate way, we would live with eternity in mind. Welcome, Holy Spirit, today. Welcome. In Jesus' name. Hey, this has been a wonderful service together, hasn't it? Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Give the worship team a big hand and their technology. They've been here most of the day getting ready. Give all our helpers, parking lot attendants, give them a big hand. We appreciate what everybody has done. Now listen, let me tell you how we're going to close. If you want prayer, of course, when this is over, I'm going to encourage you to just get in your car, follow the parking attendants, they'll get you out. But if you want personal prayer, don't leave. Stay in your car, put your emergency flashers on, and someone will come to your car and they'll pray for you. Also, if you're here today and say, Pastor, I need to get my life right with God. As you were reading from the Bible today, I'm honest enough to say, I don't know if I died today, if I'd go to heaven or hell. If you're here today or or you'd say, Pastor, I, I don't know for sure that I know Jesus as my Savior. I want somebody to pray for me. I don't want you to leave that parking lot until someone has prayed for you. If you would just linger in your car, turn your emergency blinkers on and someone will talk to you. They'll talk to you about any spiritual need you might have. There's going to be people that want to minister to you personally in this parking lot. If you're here today and you have made some kind of commitment to Christ and you want some further help, what do I do next? Where do I go from here? I want you to type in your cell phone, type 97,000. And when it comes up, just write the word salvation or more of Jesus or restored or more information. That'll get to us and we'll get back to you. We'll make you a connection that'll come to your phone. We've got about nine or ten teachings, three or four minutes long. They're foundational Christian teachings. They're all by video. It's on YouTube. We'll send that to you because we want to help you. That's 97,000. And also as you're leaving, if you would like to give, bring your tithe or offering. I give off the app. You can do that, 84321. It took me literally 20 seconds to give today driving up here. That's what I'd encourage you to do. But if you want to do something else, you can drop it off uh, as you leave. And if you want to drop off any goods tomorrow, we've been collecting things to help needy people in town, needy people in our church. If you want to drop off anything, we'll continue to do that Sunday 1 to 2 at the main church over at Mall Drive. I love you. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Come on, give the Lord one more good hand. He's worthy of our praise, and we'll be in touch with you probably Tuesday about what we're going to do next weekend. I love you. God bless you. Thanks for coming. They've got one more song.